Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Great to be with you today. We're still broadcasting on Facebook, YouTube, Ooh, Omega Radio, Blog Talk Radio, Rev Media. You can go to our website at omegaradio.org and listen to the uh, Watch Live tab. We'll be there with you. You know, I woke up this morning thinking, what a very, very kind of, um, <clears throat> it felt flat today. You ever just wake up feeling flat? And you, and you ask yourself, how could you feel flat on a day when so much is going on around the world? Well, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about, well, why is it so flat? You know, what is it that we're looking at? Right now, there's a tremendous amount of conversation about what's going on in Afghanistan. Uh, there's uh, a, a cry for the people that are going to suffer in Afghanistan at the hands of the Taliban. Uh, there's a cry of Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. And the funny thing is, after being a Christian for 39 years and studying the Bible and, you know, being a pastor for 29 years coming up this October and preaching the gospel and seeing so many things throughout the years, uh, you kind of start to see these, these patterns develop. And there have been different times in the early 1990s when we had the desert storm and all that stuff was going on. The same idea came about, about Ezekiel 38, Ezekiel 39, this is it. Uh, a lot of Bible prophecy came up into the atmosphere. And so the revolution of time always afforded something uh, going back to 9-11-2001. So I'm not denying anything. I do see Bible prophecy in motion, 
But I also know that in the last days, there's going to be a lot of deception. And there are going to be many deceived people. And what we as Christians really need to be standing on is a solid foundation, which is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation of our lives. And his word, he said, if you are a doer of the things that I say, then you're like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. And when the storms of life came, you will stand. And so I want to continue to lay the foundation. Now, it's already been laid, but to be sure about it so that we can be established upon it and understand what these last days will bring. And one of the first things that Jesus said would happen in the last days is there would be great deception. Now, I happen to live with a beautiful woman, my wife, Patricia Joy Xavier, who nearly 30 years ago was teaching the Gog and Magog war. She took the time to go into every one of those nations listed in Ezekiel 38 and 39 and bring them into the modern day, who they were, where they were. And uh, she had it all mapped out and believed that that day would come. Now, I have a different approach to Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. And Um, I've shared my reasoning with it, but, you know, forget about my reasoning. We need to hear the truth about what this Gog-Magog war is. There are two places in the Bible that talk about this Gog-Magog invasion. It's Ezekiel 38 and 39. And then, of course, in Revelation chapter 20, uh, when you see one more expression of this Gog uh, gathering together the nations of the earth. So what does that mean? It means that we, you know, we have to be careful right now that we don't just emotionally or take ideas that we have heard and, and jump into something and not be cautious about what we're jumping into. Now, we do know, because we've been downloaded with Bible prophecy, certain events we should be looking for. And so when we see an event, we sh- it should perk interest in us to view that alert, if you will, and then to consider what is it that we are actually looking at. Now, there are those who believe that this entire thing that's going on in the Middle East, where the United States government just pulled out the restraint between the Taliban and the people, the U.S. military power being withdrawn, that this is all very intended And it's very purposeful, and it's to be a distraction, if you could believe it or not, that the United States government is more concerned and more nervous about the audits, about some revelation of uh, fraud in different areas, and are concerned about the narrative that's going to be exposed about different conversations. So some people are suggesting, and I'll just give you the the article that I wanted to study here anyways um, about this, and it's found in a uh, just a tiny little blip here. So let me just read it to you. Um, the globalists want us to focus on the Americans stand uh, stranded. They want us to focus on the Americans stranded in Afghanistan rather than on the upcoming results of the Arizona audits and on the eight additional states that are now conducting audits, to say nothing of the collapse of the pandemic narrative, nor of the CCP's 
That's the Communist Chinese Party's decades of unrestricted warfare and resulting institutional collapse, which has permitted all of the above. It is now inescapable that the Biden administration actively enabled the Taliban takeover of of Afghanistan and its concomitant humanitarian crises in which the protracted extermination of tens of thousands of Americans now appears assured. Rahim Kassam at the National Pulse reports that, quote, Joe Biden's State Department moved to cancel a critical State Department program aimed at providing swift and safe evacuations of Americans out of crises zones just months prior to the fall of Kabul. So the blockbuster report on Wednesday centers on a sensitive but unclassified State Department document from the desk of Deputy Secretary of State Brian P. McKeon, who was confirmed by the Senate last March regarding the Contingency and Crisis Response Bureau, which was designed to handle medical, diplomatic, and logistical support for Americans overseas, and which was paused by Antony Binkin's State Department earlier this year. This is what Kassam said. This is the Kassam report. He said, career officials inside the State Department objected to the Trump-era aim of creating a contingency and crisis response bureau with the express purpose of avoiding a future Benghazi-style situation for Americans overseas. Instead, Biden's team revoked the funding and the approval for the plan, even as the COVID-19 crisis reasserted itself and Afghanistan withdrawal loomed. So the decision to pause the program may have come as early as February, both undermining the original Trump-era date for the withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan and certainly giving the Taliban time to threaten American assets and lives on the run up to Joe Biden's September 11th date of withdrawals. Isn't it interesting that that's the date, September 11th, 9-11, 20 years later. Now, 10 years ago, Julian Assange explained the true function of a destabilized Afghanistan as a money laundering center for the tax bases of both the U.S. and Europe and for the funneling back of this filthy lucre to what he called the transnational security elite. So why am I reading that article? I know we have a tendency to just jump right into this and go, wow, what's going on in Afghanistan? America's pulling its troops out. Um, There are are threats. There's a huge thing going on. Missionaries are uh, on the line for being beheaded and Christian men, women, and children. The Taliban's coming from them. And folks, this went on in Syria. This went on in underground China. This went on in Iraq. This went on in Iran. This went on and has been going on for a very long time. But it's not to say that it's not important to end time Bible prophecy. Anytime people are threatened by a governmental power or any kind of force, it's a horrible thing. There's no doubt. But what are we looking at? What is it that you and I should really be observing right now? Is it a distraction from an exposure? What is this? Why did the Biden administration pull the plug and leave all these vulnerable people? Why did they reject a narrative that could have had a beautiful flow of 
retracting people and extracting them gently and softly and bringing them into safety and then pull out the military powers. Why do it to create the chaos? Why do it to create the chaos? An intelligent mind would say, all right, we're thinking about pulling our troops out, so let's make sure that we get the memo to all the Americans that are there and let us begin to bring them back home first. We'll keep the buffer in place, and then when everybody is safely home, out of the way, well, then we're going to do this. Well, that doesn't mean, you know, then the buffer is gone between the Taliban and the government that was in power there, so they're going to have internal Violence, But didn't we see in 2011 the Arab Spring? In the Arab Spring, it was one nation after another in the Middle East going to war with each other. I mean, you could go on into every single one of those countries. Uh, Gaddafi was taken out and his government changed. And the whole Arab Spring was about internal violence within all Middle Eastern nations to change a governmental establishment. And yet that was the Arab Spring. And I'm sure people thought, well, maybe that's the the timing of things. So what's happening in Afghanistan is no different than what's been going on for a long time. The only difference is they left 80,000 Americans, as I understand the number, vulnerable, and they created chaos so that the attention of the world would focus on what's going on there. But then there are those that are realizing that it's the magician's trick. Look over here and over here underneath is where the real action is. So what are they trying to distract people from? Now, as Christians, we should be looking at it from a biblical perspective. But I just wonder if that biblical perspective perspective is not what Jesus said in Mark chapter 13 when the disciples came to him in verse 3. Mark 13, 3, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when shall these things be? What shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? So they're talking about the end times. They're talking about the last days. They're talking about uh, the fulfillment of Bible prophecy in their generation and that generation that will witness the second coming of Jesus Christ. And the answer that Jesus gave them was, Take heed lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Now, the very first thing that Jesus talks about the last days is deception. And that would be true throughout the entirety of the church age, the last 2,000 years of what we call the church age. Okay? So deception is the big deal. And in our modern, artificially intelligent world, with our technological explosion, You know and I know that deception is running rampant all over the world. They could actually have a newscaster sitting in a chair speaking, and yet the technology is there that that's not a real person. It's artificial intelligence. The voice is voiced over, the direction, the person sitting there. For example, I have a green screen behind me right now. And if I adjust just a little bit of that that thing back there, whatever it is, I disappear. I'm not even there. So if I adjust it more, I show up. It's, a, it's, an ama- it's technology in ways that we can't imagine that gives deception a whole new meaning. I mean, it's not just some guy on the corner selling vacuum cleaners or door-to-door or rings out of his pocket, you know. It's, it's pure deception that's intended to blind the minds of the masses all over the world. So Jesus 
warns us that we should be taking heed that we're not deceived, which means when something goes on around the world that we just don't bite into it right away. We have to be critical in our examination. And again, this comes from experience as well. We have to learn to be intelligent because the world and the deception is very powerful. We have to make sure that we're staying in the truth. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the truth today of end-time Bible prophecy because it's important that we do. Now, Jesus went on to say in verse 7, one of the other things that we need to be looking for, and that's why I think people are viewing this as something spectacular, and it's not the first time it was done. You do remember Benghazi, right? So rather than a pure, nice and easy extraction, again, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama were involved with that. Now you have Joe Biden involved with this. They both left our military weapons and Humvees and helicopters and all the highest sophisticated equipment, just like we left it behind years ago for the ISIS movement to take place. You'll remember in 2014 and 15, ISIS came to power and they left all of the great stuff. And that's how they formed to be such a great caliphate. Now what's happening again with Joe Biden and all of a sudden they're leaving it because Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, all these people are in cahoots. And this is Mystery Babylon who rides the beast. Remember, Mystery rides the beast. And I believe that's the Islamic beast, okay? And I do believe that's an ultimate caliphate. But Mystery rides it, which means Mystery's ideas controls, for right now, the wild man has just been let off the leash, so to speak. For all these years, you haven't heard a word about the wild man or Islamic terrorism there was, there was something restraining. But every time a Barack Obama comes to power or a Hillary Clinton comes to power or a Joe Biden comes to power or a globalist leftist agenda comes to power, these secret societies of Freemasonry, the Illuminati, the Club of Rome, the globalist agenda, the all-seeing eye, all these people, right? And that goes into some really deep territory. But there's something of mystery, the secret societies of Babylon that are steering this beast to do damage for her well-being. In other words, release the beast, create an an issue, and then mystery continues to use that for her own purpose. They all work together. It's very powerful uh, deception if you really think about it. So Jesus went on to say that when you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled. Don't be troubled, for such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. All right, so Jesus wanted to inform you and I that be careful in the last days, throughout the church age, the devil and the community of demonic worshipers are going to be doing tricky things. There's going to be a witch's potion released into the atmosphere to blind the minds of the masses. He said, you need to be spiritually intelligent. You need to understand the word of God so that the truth of God's word will be established in your heart. And so he's talking about now the war and the rumors of war. He says, don't even be troubled about that. And that word troubled there, just so we know, it just simply means it's the thoreo, and it means uh, don't make a noise by outcry. Don't get out there. Don't get frightened. Don't, you know, and this is what we see And and I understand it 
that, you know, we're looking and what we should be zooming is, is seeking to interpret what we're seeing. And that's where I think the spirit of truth is the most powerful. Something's happening. Everybody can see it. But don't panic about what you're seeing. Observe it by the spirit of the living God and say, what is this? What is really going on? Because when these things have happened before and all the uproar came, that's when the tricks were being accomplished behind the scenes. Okay? But then everything calmed down and everything went normal again. Everything went normal again. So... Don't make a noise by outcry and all of that stuff. Just hold back. Don't be alarmed. Don't be troubled, Jesus said. And then he said, for nation, now he's telling us what will be, nation shall rise against nation. All right? So we expect that. We expect that nation shall rise against nation. Okay, so we see that. We see it happening. We see different wars, rumors of wars. We know there's deception. Jesus said nation shall rise against nation. And the word nation, by the way, is ethnos. And all that means is a race. Okay, basically, that's all it's talking about is a race. So race shall rise against race. Okay, and as we said yesterday, that's really going to happen big time right here in the United States of America. We're going to see race uh, racial tension, racial violence. I mean, that is predicted. We'll talk about it more later. But nation will rise against nation. Kingdom shall rise against kingdom. So now you have uh, these thrones of power, these uh, bases of power, these, uh, the, these, these different kingdom forces. Could be the spiritual kingdom of darkness against the spiritual kingdom of light. Kingdoms in the world, okay, they all exist. We see much about kingdoms or hear much about them in the Middle East. Then Jesus said, and there shall be earthquakes. We just heard 1,300 people dead, probably more by now, in Haiti last Saturday, 7.2 earthquake. Okay, we've had them before, but again, 1,300 people dead, thousands of people displaced, homes destroyed, uh, all kinds of bad stuff, earthquakes everywhere, 8.2, somewhere up in Alaska recently. So Jesus said, there would be earthquakes in diverse places, and there shall be famines. Okay, you look around the world today, are there famines? You bet. There are people that are starving to death, and you wonder why with as much abundance as in the world today, and I think that's very controlled as well, but there are famines, and there's probably a lot more famine coming. And then he said, and troubles, all right, and troubles. And that's a different word, by the way, than don't be troubled. He said troubles here is the tarake, okay, the tarke, and it means disturbance as the boiling of water or mob sedition. So have we seen mob sedition? Just go back to 2020. Remember everything you saw on your television. So Jesus said that you were to be paying attention to these signs. These will be the signs of something, and one is sedition. Uh, mob sedition, disturbance, and boiling water. And that's what you see, things start to boiling up, okay, the roiling of water. So again, all these things we're witnessing right now, we don't deny that. We need to interpret what it is and then understand what we're supposed to do about it, right? So Jesus went on to say that there would be, uh, oh, so famines and troubles, these are the beginnings 
of sorrows, all right, the beginnings of sorrows. And that word sorrows there, a friend of mine said the beginning of sorrows, George Soros, right, but it's really sorrows. It means the pain of childbirth. So when a generation within the kingdom age of Christians, okay, who are born again, spirit-filled, seek the kingdom of God, love the Lord, and all of those wonderful things, study the word of God, and want to know what the word has to say, because God wants us to know. There's no doubt. God wants his kids to know we're living in the world, we're not of the world, and we should be witnessing the signs of the times, right? So all of these events, from the deception to the rumors of wars, to the wars, to the earthquakes, to the pestilences, to the, to the famines, to troubles, to disturbances, all these things are only the beginnings of child of the pain of childbirth. Okay? These are the birth pangs. Okay. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about birth pangs and the last days. What we do, okay, and here's how we look at this. We don't look at what's going on in Afghanistan as the end of the world because Jesus said, the end is not yet, but it's certainly a sign regardless of it's just smoke and mirrors, regardless, it is a sign. It is a rumor of war. It is, it is happening. People are dying. Christians are being hunted. We get that. Okay. So it's real. That's real. Whether created as a distraction or not, we witness that. And we've been witnessing things like this for a long time in our generation. What makes our generation more unique is that our generation is the generation that witnessed Israel become a nation. That always causes me to marvel, and it separates the last 2,000 years of what has been happening during the church age from our generation. Because quite frankly, after 70 AD, in my understanding of scripture, because all Bible prophecy seems to have happened when Israel was a nation, they were a nation when the great empire of Egypt was here. They were a nation when the great empire of Assyria was around. They were a nation when the great empire of Babylon was around. They were a nation when the great empire of the Medes and the Persians were around. They were a nation when the great empire of Greece came and the great empire of Rome. But when Rome came in 70 AD and obliterated the temple and drove the people to the ends of the earth, there was no nation of Israel for over 1,900 years. So in my understanding, Bible prophecy went on pause, and yet there was a lot of stuff going on in the world, and God was focusing on a spiritual temple God was speaking of an ecclesia, a people made up of Jews and Gentiles that was no longer earthly, with an earthly tabernacle, that God was bringing things into the spirit realm and making things spiritual. And the New Testament verified that completely. It was not replacement theology or anything of exclusion. It was inclusion theology. It was fulfillment theology that God would make of the two, the Jew and the Gentile, one new man in the earth, thus making peace. I'm so disappointed with our pastors today who are rebuilding the middle wall of partition between the Jew and the Gentile that Jesus Christ broke down in Ephesians chapter 2. That's so disappointing that the spiritual economy of the kingdom of God 
is that we, the temple of God, we are people. We are the dwelling place of God. We are the house of God. We are the tabernacle of God. And we are not Jew or Gentile anymore. We have been engrafted into Christ. And again, there's only two men in the earth. There's Adam and there's Christ. And yet these partition preachers want to build up the middle wall of partition between the Jew and the Gentile again. And yet Paul writes in Galatians, he says that the Jerusalem that now is, is in trouble, but the Jerusalem above is free, which you and I belong to. You see, there's a natural and there's a spiritual, but I don't want to get into that right now. But the unique thing about our generation is that Israel, the nation, the natural lineage out of the loins of Abraham according to the flesh has been regathered just like the Bible said they would. The fig tree. You know that Israel is called the fig tree. And Jesus said, when you see the fig tree put forth its branches, okay, we saw the fig tree replanted in Jerusalem in 1948. We saw it put forth its branches in 1967. I mean, it was planted. It began to grow. It began to shoot forth. 1967, they fought for their independence, and those branches spread out even further. And ever since then, we are now 73 years down the road since 1948 to the year 2021. Israel is 73 years years young, 73 years. What is unique about that? That a generation is 70 years, and if by strength, 80. So a generation is between 70 and 80 years. We are now witnessing the fig tree that put forth their branches in which Jesus said, even in this gospel we're reading right now, he, he talks about this, that when you see that fig tree put forth its branches, that's the final generation. So, we don't have any problem understanding and believing that we are the final generation, but right now in our generation, we are witnessing the deception, we are witnessing the wars and rumors of wars, we are witnessing earthquakes in diverse places and famines and disturbances and mob sedition and violence around the world. We, we're witnessing every bit of Bible prophecy, and so Jesus said in that generation— the final generation, when you see these things, he said, this is the beginning of the, the, the pangs. This is just the beginning of sorrows. And I believe that we have actually been in the beginning of sorrows, particularly since 9-11-2001. I believe that every birth pang that we experienced from 9-11-2001 to the eastern seaboard of the United States being hit by massive hurricanes like Katrina, all the way from 2002, all the way to 2005. And then we could see the school shootings, the church shootings, the mall shootings. We could see all the housing market collapses. And we've just been witnessing from 9-11-2001, one strife after another, one blow after another, one birth pang after another. But what we know is that a woman that gets closer to producing a child, the birth pangs become more intense and they accelerate. And so what are we looking at right now? Is there an acceleration of birth pangs? We certainly believe we've witnessed them in mass. I mean, they've been accelerating now for a couple of 
years, but 2020 just took it to a level of acceleration and intensification. And what are we to do with all this? We should be watching and understanding by the Spirit what it all means. What does it all mean? So Jesus went on to say this. Again, the beginning of sorrows, the word sorrows is intolerable anguish. That's the definition. It's a reference to the dire calamities precede, okay, or come before the advent of the Messiah. So before the Messiah comes, this is going to be happening. And this is just the beginning, okay? This is not the end. And that's what Jesus is saying. And I mean, I love it when he just puts it out there and he says, uh, and yet the end is not yet. And then he says, this is just the beginning of sorrows. So if you would allow yourself to enjoy this moment and just step back for a minute and go, look at the world. Look what's happening. We know through a biblical lens, there's a lot of deception. We know we see the wars. We see the rumors of wars. We see nation rise against nation, kingdom rise against kingdom. We see famines, troubles, earthquakes. We see pestilence. We see all these things happening. It's happening. But here's another unique thing. It's not just that it's happening in the context of a time when Israel is a regathered nation, but it's also at a time when intelligence or technology has exploded. We are the generation of Daniel 12, that technology or knowledge would be increased. This is the exponential rise of technology within our generation and a generation where people would be traveling on wings all over the world. This has happened in our generation coming out of World War II, and everything has exponentially become what it is today. Come on. Technology today, travel today. We see Israel as a nation today. All these ancient end-time Bible prophecies are now facing us, and here we are, the final generation, the fig tree generation, and we're seeing all the signs of the times, and where's it going? What do we expect next? A lot of people will say, well, Now that we're viewing all these things, the church should expect a rapture. All right? That's what many people are thinking. Where they get the idea, I don't know. I've heard what they've said about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's certainly not there. The idea of a preacher of rapture in 1 Corinthians 15, surely it's not there. Revelation chapter 4 verse 1 Certainly, that's not a pre-tribulational rapture. So I look and I wonder, why at this moment, if you're studying what Jesus is saying, why would the church say, okay, here's the signs. That means the pre-tribulational, because that's what these signs are leading to is the tribulation, right? So Christians all over the world are going, okay, now's the time. We're out of here. We're leaving. But does the Bible actually teach that? Well, let's keep reading from the master, Jesus. He's telling the disciples what will be, right? So let's go a little bit further in verse 9. Because in verse 8, he said, these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, this would have been a great time for Yeshua to say to the disciples, when you see all these things, then you're going to be out of here because this is, this is exactly what it's going to look like right before the great tribulation. So now is a great time for Jesus to say, okay, here's when you're out of here. But instead, what does he say? Well, Mark chapter 13, verse 9, 
but take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils. And in the synagogues, you shall be beaten, and you shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. So rather than telling the disciples that they were going to be out of here in a pre-trib rapture that is nowhere found in Scripture, which I'll show you in just a moment if you're willing to hear and listen, he's telling them that they're going to be beaten, they're going to be delivered up to the councils, they're going to be brought before rulers, but there's another space that we need to see, okay? And I want to get to that in Matthew 24. This is how the Lord said it in Matthew chapter 24. He said in verse 9 of Matthew 24, and I just want to put these all together, okay? He said, right after verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Okay, so Jesus said that. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then, but before I get to the and then, the next part, What does Jesus do? He puts it in a divine order. Here's the beginning of sorrows. Now that you see all these things, there's the beginning of sorrows. Here's what you can expect. You can expect to be delivered up to be afflicted. And they shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. So those who carry the cargo of Christ in the name of Jesus... The whole world is going to hate Christians. Christians are going to be killed. Disciples are going to be afflicted. Do you know that those first disciples, this is exactly what happened to them? They were killed at the edge of the sword. They were drugged through the streets of Greece behind chariots. They were dipped upside down on crosses and buried and, and boiled in oil and persecuted and sent to prison and beaten with rods and Do you know what happened to the early disciples? They didn't disappear in a pre-tribulational rapture. There was no pre-trib rapture going on. There was persecution, massive persecution from Nero and from the other Caesars. And they were a church on the move, a church on the run. They were spreading, but the gospel was going with them. Okay. So in these last days, Jesus doesn't say these are the beginning of sorrows. And now get ready because there's a pre-trib rapture. He says, get ready to be afflicted, get ready to be killed, and get ready to be hated of all nations. And then he says, and then shall many believers be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And I, I, I don't hear this taught very often because I think people are stuck in a a paradigm of a pre-tribulational rapture, and I just want to address it if I, if I would be permitted to do so, because it's such a predominant doctrine in, in end-time theology, but I can't find it anywhere. And I, I just want to go back through what I've heard the majority, and maybe you know a pastor that says, yeah, we're out of here in the pre-trib rapture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I guarantee you, it does not exist. So I asked myself, well, what are they talking about then? Because Jesus, the great teacher, would have certainly told us 
if, there was, if we should be expecting to get out of here in a pre-tribulational rapture flight, surely he would have told us himself in the Gospels, but he never does. Look what he says here. He says that because of the persecution, because of the affliction, because of being hated, because of being killed, believers are going to start to betray one another and hate one another because they're offended. Why? Because they're not prepared to face the great tribulation. They're not prepared to see this whole world turn against them like we're witnessing right now. And yet the very signs of the time spoken of in Scripture are before our eyes, and that's why we should be looking at them. But we should also be recognized that this is the moment Jesus said the whole world is going to turn against everything called God and Jesus through the Antichrist that's going to show up on this earth very soon. So what does Jesus say? Christians are going to begin to fall away and mass because they're offended, because they're afraid, and so they're going to betray one another. They're going to hate one another, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And I happen to believe that that's going to happen like this. Let's say that there are 50 Christians in a group, and 25 of those Christians were not prepared for what was coming, so they now are under a spirit of fear. They can't handle the fact they can't buy or sell because now they're living in a time of persecution. They thought they'd be out of here, but instead their children are being taken away from them. Their husbands and wives are uh, being afflicted. Uh, so this environment comes. They, they, they have no money. Their homes are taken away. Well, 25 of the 50 all of a sudden get offended. They're offended now. They step into the trap. And because of their offense, they begin to betray the other 25 and hate the other 25. So now that they're betraying and hating, they're probably going to wind up taking the mark of the beast, but there's going to be a church. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. So there's going to be these false prophetic movements telling these people that are offended, that have betrayed and hated their brothers, that they need to go to this church so that they can still have an idea that they're saved and going to heaven. In other words, there are going to be mega churches everywhere of the deceived. Now watch. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. That is, people that once had the love of God in them and love for their brethren, it has turned, their love has waxed cold. They have hated, they have betrayed. So here are people that were once saved that are no longer saved. It's the word of God right there. And the idea is that the end time climate is going to make their hearts cold and they're going to fit into what is known as the apostasy or the falling away or the defection from the truth. Or as we will read in other chapters in the New Testament, many times we're told where people began well, they were illuminated, they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they participated in the powers of the kingdom to come. If they shall fall away, it is impossible to renew them again. We will see it everywhere if we will allow ourselves to bypass these doctrines that have been taught, like once saved, always saved, that really don't exist anywhere in Scripture. And the little Scriptures they pull out, like, if any man be in my hand, nobody can pluck him out. Nobody plucks them out, but people jump out. That's what apostasy is all about. 
defecting from the truth. You're not being taken from it. You're leaving it because you're offended and you begin to develop a certain kind of attitude. So now Jesus says in verse 13 of Matthew 24, but he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Endure to the end of what? The greatest tribulation to ever hit the face of the earth that will come at a time when the world is filled with what we just read as the beginning of sorrows. All the events around the world, deception, wars, rumors of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famine, pestilence, earthquake, trouble, mob violence, all these things that we have been witnessing in our generation since Israel is a nation, since technology has exploded and people are traveling all over the world, just like Daniel said, we've been watching it. And what have we been seeing? And why people all of a sudden said, now that we see these signs, get ready because the pre-tribulation or rapture is coming. It's not in the Bible. It's not in what we're reading right now. We're going to keep reading what Jesus said because he doesn't even mention, but he does say you're going to be afflicted, hated, and killed. You're going to have potential falling away. Your love's going to wax cold. You're going to hate and betray your own brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. But he doesn't say you're going to disappear in a pre-tribulational rapture. Why didn't he say that? Why didn't the Lord say that? Here's what he went on to say. In verse 13, it was all about enduring. This is, or here is, the patience of the saints. Revelation talks about the patience of the saints. There are people that actually preach the book of Revelation and say, the church is not mentioned in the book of Revelation. That's not true. We'll find from all of the whole entirety of the book, the church is mentioned all throughout it. And they call, you know, and then they come up with these ideas, but we got to challenge them because we need to know the truth. So right now, what you and I need to be saying, according to the Bible, is the signs of the times are here globally all over the world at the same time. So what should we be doing? Because these are the beginning of sorrows, and then is coming persecution. So we're getting ready any moment right now to witness global persecution against the church. There are certain events, I believe, that still have to unfold biblically before the Antichrist comes onto this earth and takes his position of power and begins a three-and-a-half-year Great Tribulation. You say, well, why are you saying three-and-a-half years? Because in the New Testament, the only specific period of time that is mentioned in the New Testament Bible about a Great Tribulation is three-and-a-half years. There's not one scripture in the New Testament that talks about a seven-year tribulation. All the Bible says in the New Testament, and if you could show me one scripture about a seven-year tribulation in the New Testament, please show me. But we would still have to establish the truth by two or three scriptures, because every word must be established by two or three witnesses. Two or three scriptures have to confirm a truth, okay, before we even consider it. But you show me one verse in the New Testament 
that talks about a seven-year tribulation. Well, I can show you several verses in the book of Revelation that talk about 42 months, three and a half years, or 1,260 days. 1,260 days, 42 months, and three and a half years, all the same time period. So the Bible in the New Testament predicts a three and a half year great global tribulation. The only time a seven-year tribulation is even spoken of is because of Daniel chapter 9. They've taken a, a passage of Scripture, a few verses, something about 70 weeks, and they've created through that 70-week teaching, which, by the way, there are over 100 different doctrines on the 70 weeks. Okay? So, but we have believed somehow the church has taken in that those passages about the 70 weeks somehow tells us at the end of the world, before Jesus returns, there's a seven-year great tribulation. But how did Jesus actually say it? Well, we're reading in Mark 13 and in Matthew 24 is there's the beginning of sorrows, and no, there's no time frame on the beginning of sorrows. It doesn't say three and a half years. <clears throat> it just says the beginning of sorrows, where global events around the world will be happening and everything we've read <clears throat> But he said, then will come the greatest tribulation to ever hit the face of the earth. And everything that he began to describe <clears throat> is what we see, is what we're going to experience. <clears throat> I hope I didn't lose you. I'm not just giving you my idea. I'm going to prove it in scripture. Because right now, Matthew 24, it says nothing so far, the master, talking about the end times, says nothing about it. Let's see if he does later here. So you have to have a spirit of endurance in you, patience, faith, grow in your love. All right? <clears throat> Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So the gospel is to be preached in all the world, to the ends of the earth, to every tribe. And yet we know that 1040 window that there were people on this earth that never heard the gospel in our generation. So the gospel is being preached via missionaries, via internet, via, you know, all these mechanisms to get the word of God out there. Preach the gospel. Tell the people of the earth the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then the end will come. That's kind of culminating right now because of the advancement of our technology, the acceleration of the gospel being preached around the world. is happening all over the world. So that's happening simultaneously right now. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Now, let's talk about it. I believe that Scripture has proven that there have been many tribulation periods for God's people on this earth. I believe that um, Noah's day was a kind of tribulation. I believe in Sodom and Gomorrah it was a time of tribulation. 586 B.C. when the temple was destroyed by Babylon, that was a tribulation period. Isaiah, when Assyria was about to destroy them, was a tribulation period. Isaiah 13 is profound. It talks much like Revelation, the book of Revelation. So there have been many 
tribulation periods, but the one we're talking about, what the Bible calls the great tribulation, the tribulation that has never been before and will never be again, which you're going to hear Jesus mention in just a moment. So who is, and in those different tribulation periods, Epiphanes stepped into the temple in 70 AD, Titus and some of the Roman armies, they went into the temple, they put pigs on the altar, they burned it to the ground, et cetera, et cetera. But the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet in the last days is going to be found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So let me briefly bring you to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And what it says there, and I'm just going to pick it up in verse 3, and there's a lot of teaching there that we need to get into, and we will. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. The man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Here is the abomination of desolation. This is the Antichrist, the son of perdition. This is Lucifer in a body. What does he do? He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So when Jesus said, when you shall therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. All right, that's the temple. This is at a time while this all is going on around the world. Remember what's going on in Jerusalem, Israel right now. They have built a temple. They have produced the red heifer perfect red heifer. They have designed the clothing for the priests. They are preparing for animal sacrifices to reinstitute temple worship. This is going on in Israel today. It is the greatest rejection against Jesus Christ. It's the greatest act of rebellion against the Messiah because rather than accepting his eternal sacrifice, they are building a temple to reinstitute animal sacrifices with an exact priesthood, and it's already there. The only thing that is holding it back from being built is their strategy as to what this is going to mean because it's going to be explosive when their temple is rebuilt. But they're going to get it built. There will be a physical, actual temple built by the Jews, but it will be built in rebellion against God, in a rejection against God's Son, the eternal sacrifice. So the unbelieving Jewish people are going to do this in defiance, thinking that Jesus is still a blasphemy. They hate Jesus Christ, but it's their own rejection and blindedness that's just going to cause this. And the Antichrist is going to step into that renewed temple. Boy, is that going to be a sign for people in our generation. Consider that that temple could be erected in weeks. Listen, I was in Jerusalem, Israel. I went down to the Wailing Wall. I met those guys that do this and had the long curly things. And I went into right at the Wailing Wall, there's this room where all these men are there and they're reading Torah and they're going through and they're muttering words. And I went to the guy that was in charge and I asked him about these things. And I said, what is the number one thing that you guys are all waiting for and praying for? And he said, we want our temple back. They're praying for their temple. And then I had another question for this rabbi. And I said, okay, 
We know that Abraham had his first son, Ishmael. We know that his second son was Isaac. But where, and we know where they are. Isaac is Israel, and Ishmael is the Arab world today. And I said, but where did the six other sons of Abraham go? And he looked at me, and I told him, I said, remember, when Sarah died, Abraham married Keturah. And Keturah gave him six sons. And Abraham blessed those sons and sent them. And his best guess was they went to China. And that may be true, but it was kind of like, well, I never thought about Abraham having eight sons. It was always two sons. No, Abraham had eight sons. So what are the Jewish people waiting for? Their temple. It's built. It's ready to go. It can be erected any moment. And with things the way they're looking right now, it wouldn't be surprising if we saw that thing go up so fast because everything's moving so fast. And a news blip from the ends of the world, a temple has been erected in Israel and the world will go, ah, they finally got what they wanted. They, all these years, they've had their city, they're now a capital, now they get to put up their temple. How wonderful. The Muslims have their mosques, the Christians have their churches, now the Jews have their temple, and the world will be talking and people will be flowing in, oh, this is beautiful. It's the biggest act of rebellion, and yet it's through deception people will think it's good. And because it's an act of rebellion, the Antichrist is going to be standing in it and sitting in the temple. My goodness, it's all in the Bible. Let's go back down a little further. He tells them, when you see this happen, he said, let them which be in Judea. So if the Antichrist steps in, if you, when you see a temple built, you better pay attention. And when they see this happen, the Antichrist, whatever body he's going to be in, Jewish, Muslim, you know, European, whatever, when you see it happen, if you're in, in Israel, if you're in Judea, he said, flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight, not your pre-tribulational rapture flight, but pray ye that your flight into Judea, into the mountains, be not in the winter, makes sense, neither on the Sabbath day, because everybody's reclining, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. All he said, if you happen to be in Judea, flee to the mountains. What's going to happen when we're here in the United States, and by the way, War will have broken out. And I told you there's a few things that still need to happen before this transpires, which could happen in three months. In three months, Bible prophecy could be fulfilled before our very eyes. That's how near everything is. There could be a great war, and there, there could be events in the sun, moon, and stars, the trumpets blasting, a war that will break out, a release of demonic spirits. It's not going to take eons of time. The way Bible prophecy is accelerating right now, it would not be surprising if we began to see events hit the earth that the Bible has predicted long ago. And I'm speaking particularly the trumpet events. And then, of course, the great war that will take one third of the population off the face of the earth. And we have the technology to do it all over the world and all the other stuff that is happening, all 
condensed into the beginning of sorrows, but at the end of the beginning of sorrows, they get more intense, remember that, and more painful. And these biblical book of Revelation things that will unfold are more powerful and more painful, and that's what the world is saying, and that's why the sorrows are coming, the anguish upon the nations of the earth. Jesus told the disciples to flee, not that there was going to be a great, uh, a great rapture. So Jesus Christ thus far has not said one thing about a pre-tribulational rapture, but he told them all those things about being hated and killed and afflicted. He told them to flee. He told them to watch, flee to the mountains, don't go down. Nowhere, not even a hint of a pre-tribulational rapture. Now, he does say it's going to be the greatest tribulation. It's never been before, and it will never be again. This is the culmination. Okay, what happens then? Then he says, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. Now, he's talking about the days of the Great Tribulation. And we know that the Great Tribulation is three and a half years. Jesus said he restricted the enemy to three and a half years. Because remember, during the Great Tribulation, he makes war with the saints and overcomes them. In other words, the, the, the ecclesia will have no power to be influential in this world for three and a half years. They will be subdued. Many of them hidden in the wilderness. Many of them in cities of refuge or wherever God has provided. Many of them actually going through the tribulation in it, according to Revelation 7. But he says we shorten the days. So he shortened it to three and a half years because if he gave the enemy more power, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. The elect of God are going to be on this earth. The elect, the select, the chosen saints of God Almighty who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ are going to be on this earth. And he said he was shortening the days for their sake because they have to endure to the end of the great tribulation period. Put Bible prophecy in perspective. Now he says in verse 23, then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there. Believe it not, for there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders. You see this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You see this in Revelation chapter 13 with the second beast. Miracles, signs, and wonders to deceive. And then, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. So at this time, you know, wherever you're going to be, if you're in the wilderness, wherever you are, they're going to be shouting, hey, come on out. Christ is over here. Don't believe it. Stay put. Be patient. Okay? Because there's going to be great signs and wonders to deceive the very elect if it were possible. And then Jesus said, behold, I have told you before. In other words, he says to Peter, James, John, and Andrew, you asked me a question, and now I've told you everything before it happens. I told you everything is going to be. But now he concludes this way, and this is powerful. Behold, I've told you before, wherefore, if they shall say unto you, behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning comes out of the east and shines even to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now he's talking about his coming. 
Nowhere did Jesus talk about a secret coming, a secret preacher of rapture coming. He's now talking about their third question, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the world, right? So he wants to know. And he's saying, now, concerning my coming, it's going to be from the east to the west as the lightning flashes. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Now he finalizes it by saying that when you see these signs, it's like eagles, they, they, they circle over prey, right? So all, when you see all these signs, know it's there. There's, it, this is happening right now. But now he concludes in verse 29 and says this, watch, immediately say it out loud with me, please. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, immediately after the tribulation of those days, what he just talked about, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. The stars shall fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Remember what Jesus just said. Let's clarify just for thought. He just said that people were going to be saying, he's in the desert, he's in the secret place. He says, no, no, no. You're going to know when I come, because it's going to be like lightning flashing for the east and the west. Every eye is going to see me. You're going to know when I come. Don't worry about the people telling you every eye will see me, which confirms Revelation 1-7 and some other verses. But watch this. And so he says, immediately after the tribulation, he says, the the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, the sun will be darkened, the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Aha! After the tribulation, there it is, the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And what was that sign? Like lightning flashing. And then all the tribes of the earth shall mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. Here's the coming of the Son of Man. And he's coming in the clouds of heaven. When? Immediately after the tribulation. Not before. No secret rapture before. Not once mentioned. Then. All the tribes of the earth shall mourn. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So there's something happening from the east to the west. And he shall send his angels. Notice, Jesus Christ does not leave the clouds. He stays in the cloud. He sends his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So Jesus, this masterful east to west, every eye, the nations of the earth shall mourn. They're all going to see him. It's not, he's over there in the desert, he's in the secret place. No, this is the event, after the tribulation. But he stays in the clouds. He sends his angels with the sound of a trumpet. Sound familiar? He sends his angels with a sound of a trumpet, and the angels harvest the righteous. And at that moment, what we understand through Paul's writings, that is the time where the dead shall rise in resurrection power. How do we know this? Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Because again, this is the passage of scripture that was told to all the believers that this is the pre-tribulational rapture chapter, okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, but let's see. Paul says, 
and, and we'll just take a look. I want you to see it. I'll slow way down. We could look at it because you have been told, somebody has told you the pre-trib rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4. Okay, you just read the words of Jesus. Very important. Now, I want to put this out. And we're going to see something. Oops, I got all messed up there. All right, so we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to bring all of our Strong's Concordance into it. And I want to begin in verse 13 because this is the chapter. And I want you to observe it. I want you to penetrate. I want you to peer in. I want you to look at what this says because this, what we have to find in here, okay, we have to find in here a message that connects with what we just read in Matthew 24, because you'll see that in just a moment. But we have to find the message in here that shows us beyond the shadow of a doubt the pre-tribulational rapture. That's what we're looking for. I want to find it, because, man, I would much rather be out of here in a pre-trib rapture, right? So let's go look for it. And let's begin in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Paul is now writing to the church at Thessalonica, and there were living saints who were hurting over the loss of their loved ones, their, their brethren, their family, believers, friends that died, okay? So now Paul is writing to comfort them, and here's what he says. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now, just in case you want to know what the word asleep is, it's the koimeo, and what that word actually means is to put to sleep, to decease, or to be dead, okay? Now, he's talking about those who are dead. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are dead, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope, okay? So I don't want you to sorrow because of the loss of your loved ones. The world will do that because they have no hope. But what is the hope? Paul says, for if we believe that Jesus died, how many of you believe that Jesus died, physically died, and rose again, how many of you believe Jesus rose again, even so, them also which sleep or are dead in Jesus, in other words, they were believers, they died in faith, believing in Jesus Christ, will God bring with him. So God is going to bring the dead loved ones with him. Where are they going? Let's take a look. Now, verse 15 is one of the most powerful verses that people just don't listen to it for some reason. Listen to what Paul says. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Paul's saying, I'm going to tell you something. What I'm about to tell you is the word of the Lord. What word of the Lord? As you're going to see, it's exactly what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. Watch. He said, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord said, Paul is saying, that we which are alive and remain. In other words, we've endured to the end of the great tribulation period. He said, we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. We remain 
unto the coming of the Lord. When does he come? Immediately after the tribulation. How does he come? Like the east from the west, lightning, it flashes. Where does he come? In the clouds. What does he do? He sends his angels to gather the harvest with a trumpet blast, right? That's what we read. So Paul is saying that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are dead. In other words, we're not going to go before them. Verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. We read that in Matthew 24. With the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. We just read that in Matthew 24. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then, then we which are alive and remain. So immediately after the tribulation, there's going to be the resurrection of the dead. And we which are alive and remain endured to the end shall be caught up together with them that have been resurrected before us in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Where do you see a pre-tribulation rapture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? Where? Where is it? It doesn't exist. It's about the resurrection of the dead. And all it says is that at the coming of the Lord, the dead will rise first, and then we shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And it happens immediately after the tribulation because it's what the Lord himself said. The angels go to harvest. The trumpet blasts. We go up to meet the Lord. He doesn't come on the earth at this time. The only time Jesus makes landfall is in Revelation 19 when he comes to set up his millennial kingdom. Here is where the Lord, the dead are resurrected, the righteous elect at the end of the age are caught up. So all the people throughout the church age, maybe more, but all the saints of God are going to be resurrected. The living ones who endured the final great tribulation are going to be caught up to meet the Lord. And then when we're caught up to meet the Lord, we're going to be with the Lord. Now, according to Bible prophecy, God is going to send forth his seven vials of wrath upon the world. We're not there for the wrath of God, but the great tribulation is not the wrath of God. It's the wrath of the dragon, according to the Bible. So people say, we're not appointed to wrath. We're not appointed to God's wrath. God's wrath is when he pours out the seven vials of the wrath of God in Revelation 16. We're not here for that. Revelation 13, great tribulation. Revelation 14 talks about two harvests. The one harvest is the harvest of the elect, the wheat, what we're talking about right here, where the angels come and gather together. Revelation 16 is the wrath of God. We're not here for that. After God's wrath is poured out, Revelation 17 and 18 is the destruction of Babylon, the beast, the false prophet. And then by the time you get to Revelation 19, 11, now, after the wrath of God is poured out on the nations, now Jesus returns with his armies he comes to judge and make war and to set up his millennial reign on the earth. It's just in the Bible. It's so clear. So I want to ask you a question. Did you see through investigation a pre-tribulational rapture in anything that Jesus taught or anything that the Apostle Paul just said? 
And you may be scrambling right now saying, but wait, 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 wait. It must be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Well, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and see if we can find the, the pre-tribulational rapture in 1 Thessalonians or 1 Corinthians chapter 15. All right, let's go take a look because surely it's got to be there because everybody said it did, including your pastor. He told you it was there. So let's go take a look. Uh, let's see. I could read it out of here. That's okay. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. Ah, we get to, we're going to see a mystery, like show and tell. Okay, so the Apostle Paul is going to show us a mystery. The church of Corinth is going to see a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die, right, in context. We shall not all die. We're not all going to be dead. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound. We read it in Matthew 24, 1 Thessalonians 4. The trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. So again, 1 Thessalonians, first the resurrection of the dead. Okay? The dead shall be raised incorruptible. That's their change from corruption to incorruptibility. And we who are alive and remaining, who will not die, shall be changed. Where's the pre-trib rapture in that? Consistent theology. Jesus taught it. Paul taught it to the Thessalonians. Now he's teaching it to the Corinthians. Where's the pre-trib rapture in that? And again, I'm, I'm not trying to harass anybody or trick anybody or to promote any personal agenda. What concerns me, and it should concern everybody, with the signs of the times that we're all looking at right now that are screaming at us that the Great Tribulation is coming, we shouldn't be thinking about a secret pre-trib rapture, the doctrine of imminency, which is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And if you would like to, we could go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and look at the doctrine of imminency that existed 2,000 years ago and exists today, where everybody's running around saying, any moment now, any moment, secret pre-trib rapture, any moment. And Paul stepped in and said, wait a second. That day is not going to come, so referring to the day of the coming of the Son of Man, until two things happen, a falling away and the man of sin be revealed. And the great tribulation commences within him and within his arrival. You see, there is no such thing. And what terrifies me is that people are not aware of that. And they have a false hope that they won't have to endure the persecution. They won't have to endure how to live in this world without taking the mark of the beast. Because somebody has told them that 1 Thessalonians, the Gospels, 1 Corinthians is the preacher of rapture. And then one of the scariest things I've ever heard from pre-trib rapture teachers, they, tell, they told us in Revelation chapter 4, they told us that here's where the pre-trib rapture is. This is it, they say. If you want to see the pre-trib rapture, here it is, Revelation chapter 4. And I'm going to read it to you. And I want you to show me 
the pre-tribulational rapture. Verse 1, after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. This is John in the Spirit. After he wrote the letters to the seven churches to get ready for what was coming, speaking to the churches throughout the earth, through all generations, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither. And I will show you things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold, the throne was set in heaven. Do you know that pre-tribulational rapture teachers speak to thousands of people in their congregation? I heard it with my own ears, watched it with my own eyes and tell them there's the pre-trib rapture. That looks at where John was a singular man. A trumpet was talking with him. And so it would come up here. I want to show you things that are going to come. That's the rapture of the church? No. What it really is, you have to understand, John was not only an apostle of Christ, but he was a prophet that was prophesying. And that if you look at Scripture, God has always apprehended the prophets to some degree whether it's Moses at the burning bush, Jeremiah seeing the almond tree, Ezekiel seeing the space saucers of God's chariots, whether it's Isaiah in the throne room of God, there's always an apprehension of the prophets so that they will be prepared to speak the message that God wants them to speak. All this is in Revelation 4 is John being caught up into the throne room of God so that he can get a download of what's going to happen so that he could prophesy and tell. And yet they tell us this is the preacher of rapture. That ought to break your heart. That ought to break your heart because I'm not talking about unknown people. I'm talking about some of the biggest names in Christendom today. Some of the greatest denominational movements in Christianity today are preaching this. And if you're listening and you're watching and you're following, there's no putting circles and squares with what I'm doing. I'm reading the Bible to you, and it doesn't exist. And people are going to get caught off guard. They haven't prepared their food and water like wise virgins. They haven't prepared where they're going to be, who they're going to be with. They just assume they're out of here. And you know what the assumption is? It makes a blank, blank, blank out of you and me. And the assuming of a preacher of rapture is exactly that. So, I can't find it. It doesn't exist. So, why do we preach it so loudly? Well, again, the same people that taught the pre-tribulational rapture doctrine were the same people that preached once saved, always saved. And here's why I'm saying that. Right now, when we look through the biblical lens at the signs of the times, we see everything that Jesus Christ said would happen in the last days. Now, let me show you the unique difference. Not only is it because Israel is a nation and technology has exploded and we travel all over the world, not only that, but the other unique thing about our generation is that the things that we are witnessing are happening all over the world at the same time. 
tribulation or the or the this things are stirring all the beginning of sorrows the labor pains are all over the world whereas in the past there was a labor pain over here at that time and there was a labor pain over there at that time and there was a labor pain over there at that time but what is unique about our time this is happening all over the world at the same time christians around the world are going through and are watching all over the world. And unfortunately, those that are watching thinking we're out of here any second now aren't understanding that what these signs are telling us is get ready for the greatest persecution, the greatest tribulation against the church. Understand that the great tribulation, while it affects the world, obviously the Antichrist coming to dominate the world, that the whole world is worshiping the Antichrist, Okay, but not those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They will not. They'll be the target. So even though loss of life, uh, about half of the population of the planet will be wiped out before we even get to the Great Tribulation, which is the coming war, and the other things that are happening through pestilence and virus and all these things, we're not ready for that. I mean, the Great Tribulation is not necessarily designed by the beast, the red dragon, the false prophet against the world. They will have the world worshiping, but it's against, it's the mechanism of war. Let me show you what I mean. In Revelation chapter 12, here's what the Bible says. And it says it in a couple of places, but it says in verse 17, Revelation 12, 17, you could do the homework later. The dragon was wroth, that means really mad, with the woman, the ecclesia, some say Israel, some say the church. I believe the church is more accurate because it makes up both the Jew and the Gentile as one new man on the earth. So the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, meant to do what? Went to make war with the woman. But he was wroth with her because she was taken away into the wilderness where God's going to protect her. So he's coming to make war with the woman, to make war with, or coming to make war with the remnant of her seed, maybe the Jewish people, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So what is the dragon's wrath? It's a, it's a war against those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's the dragon's war. The mechanism of war is found in Revelation 13. I saw a beast rise up out of the sea. The mechanism of the dragon's war is the beast, and it incorporates empires throughout all time that will gather together. I believe the end time beast is an Islamic beast. I believe the great red dragon, Satan, is going to be giving him power, a seat, and great authority in the United Nations, along with communism, China, Russia. I believe that the end time gathering together of all evil is going to be the mechanism of war against those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ, us. 
I believe in protection. I believe the Bible says that God will protect those who honor him and serve him. I believe that we are living in the days where the martyrdom is going to come. We're only seeing previews right now because we're not there yet. During the Great Tribulation, great martyrdom, persecution, death, killing. People will escape to certain places, the mountains of Judea or wherever you are in the world, because it's not isolated in the Middle East. This is a global great tribulation. All right, so I think I've said enough here for today. And I wonder how we're doing out there in uh, the land of the Internet. Let's see. I want to go to some of our comments, see what people are saying. I want to say good morning, Brenda Torville. God bless you and welcome this morning. Uh, Carol Page Carey, good morning to you. Diane Gravely, good morning, saints of God from Minnesota. Praise the Lord, Diane. Uh, Megan Cotton, good morning. Good morning to Megan. Good morning to Diana uh, Nino. Great morning, my brothers and sisters. We agree. Uh, We say good morning to Kevin Hauger. I have you on Omega Radio and Facebook. Okay. Praise the Lord. I think we're on YouTube, too. Uh, Good morning from Texas. Shirley Wolseley. Good morning to Shirley and Mike. Uh, Good morning to Cindy Messman. We have Carol Page. Good morning, Cindy. God bless you. Carol Page Carey, 2,000 dead in Haiti as of this morning. Wow, 2,000 people dead. Another sign of the times. Earthquakes in diverse places, right? Terry Shannon, good morning, brothers and sisters from Texas via Broken Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, camping and witnessing. Amen. God bless you, Terry, and your evangelistic ministry. Good morning to Laquita Sizemore. Good morning, Laquita. Good morning. Terry Shannon says, uh, uh, no telling how American families, blah, 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 Okay, that's a personal conversation. Um, right now, let's go down to Kathy Brun's great teaching. Thank you, Kathy. Vanessa, shalom, pastor. Jeremiah 10, 17, coming destruction of anguish for arrogant man politician turning the city desolate, a haunt of jackals. Okay, Vanessa, I get it. Uh, we are witnessing an intelligent disobedience. Well said, Diana. Uh, I don't believe in the preacher of rapture. Praise God, neither do I. 2 Thessalonians 2.3, I agree. Uh, I'm so glad you are preaching sound doctrine, Pastor. Thank you. We got, if we do anything else, the blood will be on our hands, right? Kenneth Bruns, one month and we start the feast. I'm counting the days. Yeah, I can't wait for the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, Tammy Ivey, good morning, my fellow saints. Thank you, Pastor Vince, for bringing forth the truth of God's word. May it bless you beyond measure. Thank you so much for that blessing. Uh, Diana says, God, give us the wisdom and strength to endure till the end. Amen. Now, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, Brethren, I encourage that we fill our lamps with oil, says Tammy Ivy. Amen. The Lion of Judah is roaring. Exciting times we are in. All glory, honor, and praise to the Lord God. Amen. Keep your faith in Jesus. Tommy, uh, Tammy, yes, I bear witness to the three and a half years. Hallelujah. Kevin Honeycutt says to us, Pastor Kevin is going to be here for the Feast of Tabernacles. Good morning, Pastor. We had nine church folks leave our church because we told them there is no once saved, always saved. Yeah, expect it. Uh, In Scripture, we told them to prepare because they're not going in a secret great escape soon. We talked concerning Daniel 9 and other scriptures concerning the lies we were told about seven years in heaven or seven years is not scriptural, that the church is going to go through troubles and persecutions. Scripture backs up scripture backs up scripture. They said we are a gloom and doom church. (laughs) Rejoice for being persecuted for the truth. (laughs) Enjoy. All right, Jody Keen weighs in and says hello from Florida. Hello, Jody. 
Kevin Honeycutt, Pastor Kevin, we showed video of the priests already picked for the temple, video of practicing a blood sacrifice already taking place. And these church folks said we are so wrong, but we are encouraged and covered. Stay encouraged, brother. The truth is going to be our lamp of light in these days that lie ahead. All right, Kevin Hauger says a great turning away is happening because the truth is being exposed to those who believe upon a man-made lie. Many are searching for the truth, and they will be sent to you. Praise the Lord. God has ordained this. Not those who are meeting the needs of what man want to be want from God. Bless you, my brother. Our times will be tough because no one wants to do this, but our rewards will be great. I ask God, turn your sign on in those hearts that are listening to the Savior, Jesus. Amen. Well said from Kevin Hauger. Jody Keene says in 2008, I donated a 2,000 square foot exhibit to Israel on the Spanish Jews of Spain based on the prophecy of Obadiah's. It's in the Negev. This is part of the return of the Jews to the land. It was 10 years of research. I don't know where the exhibit is now. They were trying to move it to Jerusalem last time. I heard, but even down to the Latinos returning to the land, the crypto Jews, the olive seen Jews is all part of the end time prophecy. And that was in 2008. They have been hiding under the Catholic. Uh, we'll get the rest of that in just a little bit. Way to go, Jody. Way to go. Tammy says a hallelujah. Kevin says last night's message was great. It ties into Galatians. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. God bless you. Um, I see Michaela Johannan, Michael V. Is that Tijuana, B.C. in the backdrop? No, I don't know what it is. I needed to put something up there. Brother Mike, Pastor Mike, going to be speaking at the Feast of Tabernacles as well. Uh, Pastor Kevin is joining Gayla Lawrence, Just Bible. Amen. Gayla, are you coming to the feast? It's going to be better than ever. We hope to see you. And all of our friends in Colorado, by the way, as well. All right. Uh, Kevin Honeycutt, thank you, brother. We will pray the same for you all, too. Shirley, things I believed for years. Thank you for opening my eyes to the truth. Shirley's saying that she believed a lot of that stuff, but it really wasn't there. Just like a lot of deception is coming in the last days, and we couldn't believe where it was coming from. Wow. Pastor Melissa Fletcher, good morning. Wow, lots going on. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Pastor Melissa will be with us as well. We've got a a phone call coming in. Let's take a phone call. I like phone calls. This is a great time to do it. By the way, if you have a phone call, you want to say something about this moment, you're welcome to call the number, 818-369-0326. Press one on your dial pad. Let's take this call right now. But before I do take this call, let me get to my audio device here and say good morning. All right. Well, let's say good morning to our friends. Area code 479-321. You're on the air. What do you have to share today? You're on the air. We're listening. Oh, thank you. Oh, well, there you are. Okay, Hello, you. sir. Pastor Vincent? Yes, sir. Oh, I got you now. Uh, I was noticing in First Thessalonians 4.16, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, 
I looked up the word himself, and it means a baffling wind. Because I thought it was unusual to say the Lord himself. Wow. So I'm wondering, had you thought anything about this, the baffling wind? A baffling wind. Let's see. I'm, I'm going to look it up right now. It's the autos, and it means uh, what I'm looking at here is himself, herself, she, it, the name, uh, the idea of the idea of a baffling wind. Boy, it will be a baffling wind when the Lord returns. Amen. With the sound of a trumpet, which would be a wind release, right? Uh, it also means yeah. backward. Yeah, very interesting, Phil. Way to catch that. That's really good. <clears throat> Never saw that before. Uh, it's the first time I saw it. I just wonder why he said himself. Yeah, interesting. Well, anyway, nice talking to you. Yeah. I'll, I'll try to find out what that funny building is behind you. <laughs> uh, me too. All right. Well, thanks for pointing that out. God bless you. Let's take another call coming from area code 614-226. Good morning. God bless you. Welcome to the broadcast. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Vincent. Hello there. I can hear you. Hi, this is Keith Carey from Columbus, Ohio. I've been away uh, from your broadcast for a long time. I don't just catching up on doctor appointments. My wife's got a surgery coming up in mid-September for a large kidney stone that's causing her uh, left kidney to swell a little bit. Um, anyway, I, uh, I wish you'd go back to the backdrop of, of, uh, your, your kitchen or your family room. I'm not sure, <laughs> uh, but, uh, I know, I know that's the stolic view of, uh, of, uh, of your salvation. And, uh, I'm just wondering, I, I, I really think assemblies of God is um, once saved, always saved. But I need to check that. I'm pretty sure it's uh, it it points to that. But I I believe you know Jesus um, gives us forgiveness, you know, and you do too. Um, and I have to compare myself with sometimes what David went through. And uh, and he was forgiven, and uh, he was anguished, as I was, and I was forgiven. Uh, but I'm. It all says work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but uh, I guess I guess we'll know because we won't have a Holy Spirit to guide us. And we'll be wondering what's wrong with us. Um, and don't you don't you agree with that? I believe that in the last days that there is, uh, according to Revelation chapter seven, I believe there are two people groups there, and I believe those who are sealed are going to be preserved, and that's always with the Holy Spirit. And I believe that there are going to be a lot of saints that are going into the Great Tribulation that are going to be washing their robes in the blood of the Lamb. And I believe that if you are a born-again, spirit-filled Christian living as this Great Tribulation is coming, 
we should all be guided and led. The problem is, is that there are foolish virgins and the foolish virgins don't have any oil. In other words, they have not prepared themselves for the things that are coming because they were entertaining doctrines of demons, uh, such as what we've been talking about today, once saved, always saved, and the pre-trib rapture. And that may sound a little bit harsh, but nonetheless, it's true. So if we have an accurate understanding by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, what it says, and we follow the instructions, we will be here guided and led by the Holy Spirit, and we will know how to be navigated. And uh, that's kind of what the Lord told me in 2003. Don't pray for this nation. This nation is doomed, but pray for the saints of God within this nation that they'll be able to navigate through the days that are coming upon the earth. And so that prayer for the navigation is the Holy Spirit guiding and directing our lives. Um, and, and that's how I understand that to be, Keith. Thanks. I really think okay. uh, that's, that's the falling away we're talking about. Yes. Because yes, those, people, those people who think they've been saved, uh, there'll be a falling away of, of those when, when we go into severe tribulation. Yes. Thank you. All right, brother. God you bless you. Yeah, thank you for the blessing, Keith, and uh, prayers to your wife for her surgery. You know, I, I think it's fair, and I think it's necessary at this time. You know, there could be, um, you know, contradiction over doctrines. And the Bible does talk about doctrines of demons, which are intended by the people. And what I mean by that is that the people are going to say to the prophets, don't prophesy to us these hard things. Prophesy unto us smooth things. Tell us what we want to hear. See, that, those are people that want to be deceived. Uh, there will be people that will keep to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they will say to those teachers, tell us what we want to hear. I believe that there are some great teachers out there. I believe that there are some wonderful pastors that maybe they themselves got caught into uh, just regurgitating something that their denomination taught. And they've done it traditionally for so long that they do it. And it's not that the people want to be deceived. They don't want to reject the truth. They think it's the truth. So what we need to do is have conversations like these and sit down. And I would love to hear one of these pre-trib rapture people, you know, sit right next to me and say, well, here's where it is in Matthew, Mark, Luke. Here's where it is in 1 Thessalonians. Here's where it is in 1 Corinthians. And to dialogue over that and to come up with a, with a truth. And we're all looking for the truth because I would be more than willing to go with, you know, if you could show me, I, I want to know. Anyways, what I'm saying is these are not our enemies, people that are teaching things that maybe aren't necessarily right, but they could be very much held accountable for what they're teaching because teachers get the double condemnation. And you can't just be a teacher that goes with every wind and flow to keep people connected to your ministry. You got to say, there's no one saved, always saved doctrine right up front and maintain it all the way through. You got you to gotta speak the truth and love from the beginning to the end. You don't just say to people what's going to get them to keep following you. Okay, so I'm, so I'm glad that Pastor Honeycutt said the truth and people left. I think it's wonderful. He just had a purging. It's called judgment, and it's a separating from the wheat and the chaff so that his ministry will be filled with people that are on the same page, have the same mind, the same judgment, one voice, one heart, and they could all labor together to get the job done that needs to get done in preparation for what is coming on this earth. So that's kind of my take on it. 
Anybody else would like to call into this broadcast? I see another call coming in, area code 916. Good morning. God bless you. Welcome to the broadcast. You're on the air. Good morning, Pastor Vincent. Hey, buongiorno, Senor Mark. Buongiorno, Don Vincente, my dear pastor, my dear friend. Grazie. So, Grazie. You know, I do have a comment on the – oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, sir. Nope, I just threw out a grazie. Go ahead, my friend. Oh, excellent. You know, I, I do have a comment regarding how hungry some – well, let me just say most believers. I, I find, honestly – that not many believers are hungry for the true depth of the word of God when it comes to God's hunger for us to obey him and to honor him by obeying his commands. Jesus was very clear. I, I cannot quote you chapter and verse, but Jesus was very clear. He stated it very clearly when he said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. I may be paraphrasing there. I'm sorry. But you get the point. Jesus sure. set it out for us to walk the narrow path and to seek to enter through the narrow gate. And that means obedience. And Jesus, while he walked this planet, he called for people, as did John the Baptist before Jesus, he called for people to repent Repent, repent. And that means to turn away. Well, turn away from what? Turn away from one's sins. Well, what is sin? Sin is falling short of the glory of God. Sin is, is not quite making it, not quite behaving to what God expects from us. Well, sin is everywhere. Sin is common to mankind. The problem with so many believers is that it takes hard work to be convicted by the Holy Spirit. It takes, it's really difficult. It's painful to allow the Holy Spirit to say to you, hey, you know what? You're messing up. You're doing the wrong thing. You need to turn and go in the opposite direction. That can be very painful. It can be very humbling. And it takes hard work to allow oneself to be vulnerable to the Holy Spirit and to really hear deep down in one's heart that one is doing wrong or one is falling short or one is disappointing the Lord. That, that's hard news to hear. And it's difficult to repent from habitual sinful behavior. It's tough work to repent. It's hard work. It's uncomfortable. Now, how many believers are going to just want to lay down on a plank of wood and allow someone to, draw, uh, to drive a, a spike through their hand. Not many people are willing to do that. And a, a more minor harmonic of that, of having a spike driven through your hands, is to lay down the habitually pleasurable behaviors, most of which are not pleasurable to God. Good. It's hard work. Hardly anybody is willing to really just repent and to experience the uncomfortableness, experience the discomfort, experience of being convicted and repenting. But that's the work that has to be done. So you have a whole bunch of believers who are thirsting 
to hear that it's all good. Once you profess the name of Jesus, once you invite Jesus into your heart, it's all good. You don't have to do the work. You don't have to repent. You don't have to be convicted. That's what most people want to hear. They want to take the easy way out. They want the easy road to walk, not the hard, bumpy road. And it takes more courage than most people are willing to put out there in order to genuinely obey the word of God, to stop the habitual, comfortable, sinful behavior, and to do what God is saying we should be doing. It ain't easy. And that's why you have so many people adhering to the false doctrine of once saved, always saved. Not to mention the false doctrine of pre-tribulational rapture. Because again, people just don't want to bear up to the discomfort. My prayer for believers everywhere is that believers everywhere would repent of this behavior of constantly seeking comfort and seeking the easy way out. That these believers will finally consent to experience some discomfort, to go through the process of being convicted and repenting and walking in the light of the Lord. That's my prayer for believers everywhere. It's a good prayer. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Well, brother, that's a great story, and I thank you so much for sharing your story, and it's a good story, and it's a call to repentance, and every one of us need to be making sure that we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Jesus is coming for a bride without spot and wrinkle, and the ultimate focus is not on the great tribulation. Listen, that is for a brief moment. It's our eternity that we have in view here. The devil wants to prevent people from going on into the glory of God. We're going to encourage one another especially as we see the day approaching. We're going to provoke one another to love and good works. We're going to call all to repentance, to transformation, to inward washing, cleansing of the spirit, soul, and body, the purging of the conscience from dead works, the liberty in the spirit, the true freedom that Jesus Christ purchased for you and I. What an amazing time to be alive. Listen, I've got to go. We've run out of time. I would ask you, would you please consider to support this ministry? If you would, you could simply give your donation online at, you got to find out how to do it. I don't have time to put it out there, but God bless you. I'll give you an address if you'd like to mail something to the ministry. It's P.O. Box 100, P.O. Box 100. It doesn't get any easier than that. And it is Decatur, Arkansas, 72722. P.O. Box 100. Zip code 72722. That's Decatur, Arkansas. Online, you can do it there as well. You can find out how to do it by calling me, texting me. But thank you for supporting the ministry. We have a big Feast of Tabernacles coming up September 20th. September 20th. Tomorrow, I'm going to be interviewing Dr. Mick Hall. You're not going to want to miss. This man is a genius. And he comes from a little bit different perspective on things. He's a genius when it comes to your body. And I want to share with you a number of things that happened just in the last few weeks. Okay, tomorrow, Dr. Mick Hall. We'll see you then. Shalom. Right now, OmegaRadio.org. That's OmegaRadio.org, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's a roundtable discussion with Patricia Joy Xavier out of her book, Deliverance, the Christian Bill of Rights. Contact her, encourage her, and you're going to be super blessed. Until then, we'll see you. Tomorrow, have a super blessed day. Shalom, everybody, and God bless you.